0: Hi there, I'm Ben Hook and thanks to Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Foundation, this is the Hooked on Sport podcast. Hi there and welcome back to another episode of Hooked on Sport. This is episode four and we'll take a bit of a right hand turn today after catching up with two of Australia's finest hockey stars in episode three, Gabby Nance and Holly Evans. Gabby, of course, is a hockey ruse player and is dealing with the delay to the Olympic Games. Holly is a senior hockey player and coach in South Australia, as well as an exercise physiologist who had some great advice on how to stay physically and mentally healthy during this time in our lives. Make sure you give that episode a listen. Thanks to all of you who are connecting with the show and sharing it with your mates. We really appreciate it. Hooked on Sport is your virtual sports club for this time when we can't go about our normal sporting activities While we can't gather together, we can still link up and chat about our sport and remain connected. Hooked on Sport is here to maintain that connection. Today, we'll chat with Dr. Sam Elliott on how to manage the sporting needs of your kids while organised sport is on hold, and we catch up with two athletes who are still actively participating in their sport, senior Australian jockeys Dominic Tener and Emily Finnegan. But first today, Dr. Sam Elliott. He is a researcher and senior lecturer in sport, health and physical activity at Flinders University, and he has developed an esteemed career across Flinders' College of Education, Psychology and Social Work, and he has had his research work published on numerous occasions. Much of his work has been focused on athlete development, youth participation and engagement and parental behaviour in youth sport. He joins me next.
1: Hi, I'm Tom Wren from Channel 9 and 5AA, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport.
0: Dr. Sam Elliott, welcome to Hooked on Sport
2: Hello, thanks for having me
0: Sam, are kids without sport at risk?
2: Uh, Of course. I mean, there is always a risk because sport provides a wealth of psychosocial, developmental and uh, physical benefits. So the absence of sport for an entire season, potentially longer, presents um, not just immediate, but potentially long-term risks. um, and, And potentially we could be losing up to a lost generation of young people to sport.
0: Are you more concerned about young kids with motor skills or is it a mental health issue as well?
2: Uh, I mean, all of the above and more. Um, We know that sport is key for not just, um, you know, mental wellbeing and, and, as an outlet for accruing physical activity, but sport is also part of um, a socialisation process. So how children actually navigate their, their position in the world and in social structures is really driven in many ways through sport as a, as a social process. So that's fundamental, but I guess there's, there's other elements there where it's tied directly to a lot of young people's identity. And the immediate loss of sport um, really has a lot of children. And I've spoken to many athletes um, from the grassroots right into the elite programs that are feeling grief right now. Mm-hmm. As it's genuine grief, and part of that is a really, it's it's a it's a strong symptom, if you like, of 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 loss, and and as a result of that, um, they're having to try and reconstitute a sense of who they are because of. Largely, what they do and how they behave and how they think is driven in, through and about sport.
0: Uh, What are the areas of real concern for you, Sam? Do you see young kids who like interacting with their mates and just learning a sport and playing around with a sport they love? Or is there kids maybe of an older age bracket, so maybe potentially looking to get drafted into the AFL? Are they really concerned about potentially their livelihoods?
2: Yeah, so if I could break this into some age groups, sort of the what I consider the sampling years and, and a lot of the research of those 6 to 12 years, the formative years, there's a real risk there that a lot of those children that are maybe disengaging from sport forcibly because of the environment that we're in at the moment may not be able to return, not because they have self-excluded, but because of the environments that they may have gone to may no longer exist once this is over. And that's a very real consequence that many sporting clubs may not be able to pick up where they left off. That's the first risk, I think, for, for really young children. If you're sort of a little bit older and maybe you're specializing in sport, and maybe it is, as you've mentioned, a draft year for you, um, there's a real risk that you may just leave sport altogether because the uncertainty about what will happen um, for a lot of people, especially if you're on the fringe and you're not sort of certain to be picked up, um, it could be very much the, the end of them, um, their, I guess, intense training program to maintain a level of uh, performance that may amount to nothing at at any point this year. And so there are some real ramifications for for all children and athletes um, from as young as five, six years of age right up until 18.
0: Oh, well, let's go through some practical examples, Sam. Let's say I've got a daughter, she's 10 years old and she's playing netball and under normal circumstances, she'd be going to training one or two nights a week and then playing her games on Saturday afternoons. What are the sort of things that I could do as a parent to give her as best as I possibly can the opportunity to replicate the sport she plays, even if I've got some limitations with the size of my backyard?
2: Yeah, really good question. And and if so in this example, if your child's between that six and twelve years of age, then parents can comfortably and with confidence be guided by principles of what we call deliberate unstructured play so these are creative games or challenges at home that you can really create um, you know within the confines of of the driveway the backyard it could be the lounge room I I think of my mum here when I say the hallway she didn't like that when I was growing up but they're excellent backdrops for casual pickup games and creative play and if you are playing netball at 10 years of age chances are you're playing one or two or maybe more other sports as well it's very characteristic of being in those sampling years we call it a wide variety variety, and early diversified sport experience. And the reason children do that, especially for parents that can enable those opportunities, is because they are really trying to explore through movement, um, creativity, and free play in all the forms and the variants that it's offered. So at that age group, parents have a license to innovate and to create unstructured creative forms of gameplay. It can be something as simple as kicking a ball down the driveway or into the driveway and trying to create some bases, You're almost mimicking uh, football and baseball as a hybrid sport. I mean, the idea of creativity is the key principle there. And if you do that, then you're going to create a, a, a series of environments that will keep your kids connected and motivated to stay involved in a version of sport. If you're looking at some older age groups some practical tips, maybe as you're starting to to solidify your involvement in the specializing years, so say 12 to 15 years if your child's 14 and they really love their footy. The example I provided earlier this week was actually looking at um, maybe trying to develop some kind of conditions that actually mimic what they would otherwise be wanting to do. So if your son or daughter says, mum, dad, I'd like to improve my ground ball pickups, you don't have an oval, you don't have any bags, you don't have necessarily all the equipment and environments that you would have at the football club. But what you do have is someone with the ability to roll random objects, different shaped objects through your child to help develop a really key aspect of their gameplay. And what it's actually doing is not only increasing their proficiency, but it's in keeping with a really key principle that in this age group relies on a more deliberate form of practice. So that transition from deliberate play in the younger years to more deliberate practice in those intermediate years is a really key distinction. And parents, can use that idea to start to develop some more deliberate forms of activity that are designed to help promote a sense of proficiency and development in a particular sport.
0: Some great ideas there, Sam, and uh, some good advice for mums as well. Don't leave the fragile ornaments in the hallway when the son or the daughter's trying to work on their uh, on their kick down the middle of the corridor. There, Sam, I've just uh, I've got to ask a couple of things. This is a good opportunity to maybe encourage kids to learn about a bit about the history of their sport. Kids, perhaps at this age group, aren't necessarily really strong on what's happened in previous years. Is that a positive?
2: Um, yeah, potentially. I'm not sure how many. St- how many kids are going to be motivated to read up on, say, sporting history. But what I do know um, from not just some of the research in this area, but just from some um, scoping that I've been doing the last few weeks, is that a lot of the the, the athletes that are now missing out on sport, especially that 15 to 18 years, so I haven't really spoken about the specialising years, but if you're in the draft year as an example, one thing that they are certainly moving towards outside of their own individual training is actually studying the game. And I think it's a fantastic thing because they're trying to, develop cognition and thought patterns and try and improve anticipation. And all of these things are really key artifacts of the game that can develop from studying and reading and actually, I guess, engaging in a different form of literature um, to, to what they would otherwise be doing, like learning through doing. So that's that's been a really promising thing there. But I think any time a child is inspired to learn about the stories in sport, it certainly helps to create a segue into that sporting participation pathway. I've actually written a paper on this, especially for girls, for for girls that are attracted to try different sports and sports that are maybe, uh, AFL is a really good example, that are now changing the way in which they have um, the capacity to physically express themselves in ways they've never done before. Um, The way in which you can get girls looking at your sports or for young children full stop is if they can connect to the stories inside your sport. It's not that they look at Aaron Phillips and want to be Aaron Phillips. It's that they understand her story, cross-coder, dual career athlete, someone that's wanted to play a certain sport was denied of opportunities. They connect with the story and that at least turns their attention to looking at their sport. I think there's great benefits from engaging in those types of forms of literature.
0: Talking to Dr. Sam Elliott, Senior Lecturer at Flinders University. Last question, you brought up Aaron Phillips. Do you fear for girls' football? Do you worry that uh, with the concerns around finances that we're possibly going to see over the next 18 months, that there could be a contraction to what's been an amazing explosion of opportunity for girls' sport?
2: for um, oh, it's, it's a tough question to answer because I'm not on the inner sanctum of those decisions, but what I could certainly say is that the current participatory data, the current scientific evidence which shows the reasons why girls are changing their sporting preferences is driven in part, and my, I've, I've actually published on this, in part because football and a number of these other modified opportunities for girls give them an opportunity to express themselves physically in ways that they have not had before, and so if I'm a sport right now, if I'm a sporting organisation, I'm using this time to think about how we can actually reorientate and re-engineer our sport so it appeals to the needs of our young people, boys and girls included. And if you use that and try and mirror the experiences that you're offering with what young people want, then that is going to be your best ticket to survive uh, post-pandemic.
0: Sam, wonderful. So many uh, great pieces of information there. Thrilled to chat with you. Dr. Sam Elliott,
2: really appreciate
0: your time here on Hooked on Sport.
2: Thanks a lot. Everyone stay safe. Thank you.
0: Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation.
2: It's really important to remember to take time out, especially if you're at home for long periods of time. Go and find your own space. Maybe read a book or call a friend remember not to be too hard on yourself or on others. This will help minimise any ongoing stress of being in this limited space or with others.
0: And now back to the show. Thank you to Dr. Sam. He is a wonderful resource on the issues pertaining to children still taking an active role in sport, despite the closure of pretty much every junior competition. We'll add some of Sam's work to our show notes. Now for something unusual, two athletes who are still competing. Despite a few scares, horse racing has managed to endure the COVID-19 crisis and tracks around Australia are continuing to host race meetings while the rest of the sporting world has ground to a halt. But is it life as normal for jockeys and other industry participants? Two senior South Australian jockeys, Dom Tanur and Emily Finnegan, join me next. Dom is a multiple Group 1 winner who most notably formed a great partnership with trainer Philip Stokes and the horse Hucklebuck in the middle of last decade. Emily Finnegan was Ducks of the SA Apprentice Academy in 2017, and despite a recent lengthy layoff due to a shoulder injury, she has returned to race riding in the last six weeks. They join me next.
3: Hi, I'm Gabby Nance from the Hockey Rooms, and
0: you're listening to Hooked On Sport. Hi, everyone, welcome back. You're listening to Hooked On Sport. Joining me, two of South Australia's leading jockeys, Dom Teneur and Emily Finnegan. Dom, Emily, welcome to Hooked On Sport. Thanks for
1: having us. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Very nice to.
0: For thanks for listening. For both of you, I think we all, for non-racing people, think that you've been uh, doing exactly the same thing as you've been doing all of your lives in racing. But what's changed for you over the last three or four weeks?
1: Over to you,
3: Em. Yeah, look, um, it's obviously been a tough time for everyone, um, not only just in the industry, but um, everyone around the world. Look, I think with the racing industry, we've taken all the necessary precautions and, um, you know, we are sticking to the social distancing very well and I think everybody has um, got on board with it all and um, I
1: think it's been going great. Dom? Yeah, and look, I think uh, Emily summed it up pretty well. Uh, I do feel that um, Nick Redden and the stewards at CRSA are really... um, Hearing with the government as well to put as many um, implications in and, and restrictions um, for participants to ensure racing continues to go because, uh, look, essentially, I mean, you know, it employs uh, probably 200, two 250,000 people across Australia. So, uh, you know, if them people are out of jobs, there'll be a lot of people on the unemployment list, which I don't think the government wants to see.
0: Dom, have you found that the spotlight's shine even a little bit brighter on you guys because there's really no other sport around that's going on?
1: Yeah, look, it it is, um, essentially. like I do feel a lot of people, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends outside of the industry and they are basically just watching racing. Uh, That's all they have on offer. Obviously, you can watch so much of sporting replays if you like, but I mean, there's nothing better than watching live action sport as we know, and Uh, Most people are turning to that. So that's probably another reason we've got to really stay vigilant with um, all our precautionary measures intact. And obviously they're always looking for new ways to um, continue the safety of um, the the participants with COVID-19. So, I mean, we're happy to put in place, uh, you know, whatever measures we need to make sure that racing continues to go
0: emily i had the opportunity to drive up through the hills yesterday afternoon very cold and wet uh, up there at oak bank but what would it mean for you and the people around you if racing had to take a stop for a period of time i imagine that would be significant to people's livelihoods
3: oh look absolutely um you know it's um it's a massive industry that um, that takes um, that gives a, a lot of people um, employment. Um, you know, not just so only around Oakbank, but all of South Australia. Um, it, it would it would definitely, um, you know, it, I think it would be damaging to the actual industry in SA if um, if if something did happen that happened like that that it would stop. Um, it would probably be very hard to get going again.
0: Would it be a 100% pay cut for a lot of you? I imagine if there's no racing and there's no track work, there's just no income at all.
3: Yeah, look, that's right. Um, for jockeys and track work riders as well, and not only those, like trainers and stuff like that, you just need racing to, um, to go ahead uh, for an order for everyone to keep their income.
0: Dom, what about the, uh, the the current challenges? Has that given an opportunity for you and your your rival jockeys, I suppose, to even come closer together? I know a lot of you have great relationships anyway, but are you finding the bonds are even stronger?
1: Yeah, look, um, it's a it's a tricky one. Like we obviously all, um, you know, uh, are close knit, we all you know um, keep in touch with with each other and whatnot. But um, with the current uh, environment. Um, you know, with isolation and, you know, being told to stay at home. Yeah, it's, it's pretty tricky. I mean, you know, often, uh, on a Saturday after races, you know, a lot of Saturday go out for dinner together and, you know, have a couple of, um, or whatever. But, um, look, I, I find myself, um, restricting myself to try and stay at home as much as I can. Um, a lot of South Australia is done the same and, and we've got really good rates of, uh, at the moment obviously we only had a, a couple of um, cases of the COVID but look I think we, we still generally tend to you know, keep in touch and communicate via phone and whatever but I think yeah, most people are just sort of being smart about it all you know.
0: Emily, what about uh, your family? You obviously have got Irish heritage, and we know that racing is, in particular, is in your blood. Uh, your grandfather was a, a very famous uh, jumps jockey uh, over there in Ireland. But because you're so far away, are you more fearful for the health of your family?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, as anyone would be if they um, lived overseas, um, you always have that worry at home um, from the heart, I suppose. Um, but um, yeah, look. The, the Irish racing industry—they—they they tried to keep going for um, as long as they could, but everything's actually come back to a standstill now. Um, and even so, we probably—we we didn't really start thinking about it early days, but like um, right now, it's probably a little bit of worry it does happen in, in your head that if anything does happen, um, not being able to go home um, immediately is, is probably one of
1: the serious things.
0: Don, what's racing like without owners at the track?
1: Yeah, um, it's, it is very different. Um, it, it's probably more eerie the fact that there's no crowd there. Um, mm. Look, obviously, we went through this with uh, Equine Influenza. There was no owners in that there. But um, with technology nowadays, um, most trainers do um, sort of post-race interviews with jockeys via their mobile phones to... Um, Wow. Send to all the owners So they're essentially still getting um, First hand information and in that But it is probably um You know it would be disappointing for them Not being able to be at the races And see their horses race live And get that sort of thrill and excitement As you would being on track And um, sitting at home But um, you know we still um Obviously we need the support Of the owners but it's just one of them Crazy times we're Living in there yeah it's um, Disappointing and frustrating for them, but um, it's, um, it's, it's quite, quite a weird, real feeling just being at the races there, you know, without
0: anyone there at all. Uh, let's talk about one negative of the current situation and one positive. Firstly, the negative, Emily, must have been so disappointing that the Oak Bank Easter Carnival had to be cancelled.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I... Um Actually, didn't really quite enjoy riding Old Frank, um previous years, but now that I live there and I ride on the track every day, I was um certainly looking forward to it this year. Um, last year I was out, missed out, missed out on the carnival last year from injury. Um, and I was um yeah looking forward to it this year, and so were many local trainers around the area. Um, but look, it's just devastating, and hopefully we can come back with a bang next year.
0: But in the positive, we've got the uh, the the. South Australian Racing Carnival coming up, and no jockeys coming in from interstate. Could be some pretty positive rides for both of you.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, um, look, that is a, a um, very, very favourable um, from our point of view. Um, actually, um, John O'Connor put a post on Facebook, and it was very nice, a good read. Like uh, just you know to see that Us local um, riders get these opportunities, and you know most more often than not we'll sort of always have to take a back seat for the um for the blokes that do come across. But look, um, it's gonna be a, a very interesting twenty twenty and at the end of it, uh, four um, South Australian hoops are gonna be group one winners, which is it's a great um a, you know, opportunity for some of the riders that just work hard and, you know, probably riders with as much ability as anyone else but just aren't presented with these opportunities. So Now's their time to shine and um, show the eastern state counterparts that, um, you know, we we can do it given given, um, the opportunities. All you need is that horse underneath you.
0: Emily, how are you going to uh, fill a bit of time in while, uh, while we're in lockdown? Not so much. Obviously, you're still racing and still working as such, but less opportunities to go out and all of those sorts of things that young people do. How are you filling your time in?
3: Actually to be honest, I kind of go on like an old person rather than a younger person. <laughs> um I um I like to spend my evenings drinking a glass of red wine and sitting in front of the fire. So uh, I don't really do much. Um um it is I, I still have um horses like as two two retired horses um from from racing. Um but they still need bed morning and night. So I do them and it passes my day and then I sit in front of the fire in the evening.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Dom, you're doing a bit of <laughs> homeschooling and some golf practice in the lounge room, I've noticed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. Yes, yeah, I was playing a bit of golf in the in one of the rooms. There's a bit of room there and a bit of a tipping challenge and that. And then I was playing a bit of cricket with the lad down there, just like a bit of indoor cricket. So... Um, the kids are at home. Just uh, they're actually they're probably nearly due to go on recess late shortly. Um, but uh, I was lucky enough, like I got a big swim bar which we got delivered only um, probably about uh, a couple of weeks before this whole um, crazy COVID-19 started. So the kids are pretty fortunate that they can get in there and do swimming and all activities, and they got a big trampoline outside. So we're pretty well. Um, we're pretty well sort of off well, down, and the golf courses are still open at the moment which is a bonus so uh, I can get down there and still have a hit of golf and whatever and the rest of the time I suppose uh, the only thing other things that have changed is the uh, climate body finds paper.
0: well i tell you what i did see your golf trick uh, efforts on social media i think you had four attempts and gave up which is not really how it's meant to work uh, dom you're meant to just keep going until you succeed but plenty of opportunities for you out in the golf course hopefully to come hey for both of you thank you so much for joining us on hooked on sport Uh, it's an incredible time we're speaking to so many athletes who aren't getting the opportunity to compete it's great that you are and uh, we hope that continues uh, until we get all of this behind us
1: Thank, thank you, you very much. much. No, thank you. We're fortunate enough, and we, we are, we are um, thankful that we're still able to continue. And look, if I, uh, if I kept on tipping till I got one in, that video wouldn't have had enough time. To, uh, <laughs> <put it up. laughs>
0: yeah, you'll have to learn some editing skills there, Tom. That's Dom Teneur and Emily Finnegan, two of the leading South Australian jockeys, joining us on Hooked On Sport. You're listening to the Hooked On Sport podcast, your virtual sports club. Well, that wraps up episode four of Hooked on Sport. A thrill to talk to Dr. Sam Elliott from Flinders University who gave us so many practical ideas on keeping kids engaged in sport at this time. And our two jockeys, Dom and Emily, who really underline the parlour state of their livelihoods and so many others in racing with the spectre of a possible stoppage due to the virus. Don't forget to let us know who you'd like to hear from. It could be an international athlete or an unsung hero. Tell us how your club is staying connected with its members and feel free to share with us a fun tale. Who are the characters at your club? We're at Hooked on Sport on Facebook, so get in contact, say hi, and share with us a happy tale or just some general love. That's the last whistle for Episode 4. We'll see you soon on Hooked on Sport.